Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the audio recording of the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter. I am your host and reader, Dr. M, and this is volume 11, issue number 30. This week, we will be discussing dental care and how dental care and hygiene has a lot to do with our systemic and long-term health. First, we need to do the obligatory disclaimer. This week, the information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional, and it is not to be used to diagnose or treat any health condition. Before we dive deep into this week's newsletter on dental health, I want to touch base a little bit with everyone regarding the new upcoming podcast. The name is officially the Women and Children First podcast, and I have done and completed two interviews with the great Dr. Paul Smolin, the wonderful gentleman who has decided to hang up his podcasting career after 11 years and has been gracious enough to give me the reins. So the first interview will be with him and his wisdom in pediatric parenting advice and just what he's learned over the years. The second interview to follow Dr. Smolin will be Dr. Danny Benjamin, a professor of pediatric infectious diseases at Duke University and the principal investigator on the very large North Carolina COVID school study. He will be sharing information on back to school within the COVID world now, also vaccines, efficaciousness in children over the age of 12 and other COVID related topics. Okay. Let's get started. So this is volume 11, letter 30 of the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter. Again, I'm your host, Dr. M. And this week we're gonna discuss dental care and why it is so important. It has become very clear to me over the years that my initial thoughts on dental care were misguided in the sense of how important it was. I knew it was important with children and in adults in general, just for your tooth's health but we were never really so clear on how important it is just for systemic health. There were inklings of the heart disease 20 years ago, but now it's becoming clear that it is very important systemically overall. And we're gonna discuss some of the data. So I recently listened to a podcast with Dr. Peter Atia. He's a fantastic podcaster, as you know, and he interviewed Dr. Patricia Corby, who is a professor and health researcher of the oral microbiome and the oral cavity itself from the Penn Dental School of Medicine in Pennsylvania. So I'm going to try and drill down a little bit of information from that to our podcast and also other sources into a simple to understand newsletter in the audio form. What we know about the tooth is that the tooth is a highly innervated and vascular structure, despite being an apparent bone visually. It contains the hardest substance in the human body on its surface, the surface substance that we call enamel. The enamel overlies the dentin, which is the cushion that has the nerves allowing for sensation of the bony tooth. Below the dentin is the pulp, which contains the vasculature, the blood vessels, as well as nerves and uh, cellular functions, including cell signaling activity. Then there is the pulp, which is the zone of odontoblasts or the tooth growing cells that grow more dentin over time, as well as being the zone of immune activity to protect the teeth from infection and disease. The tooth then is cemented and ligamentously held into the bone for stability and strength as the jaw muscles allow for chewing and grinding of nourishment. There are images to look at this on Google. If you look up Google tooth, you can see this picture yourself. 
teeth offer the primary function of grinding and tearing food, which opens up food cellular structure to enzymatic degradation, which occurs primarily via the saliva and oral cavity and later by stomach acid in the stomach and finally by digestive pancreatic enzymes that are released from the pancreas into the intestines. These processes unlock the nutrients for absorption and utilization, which is critical for cellular function and human health. The oral cavity in general plays an important role as a first location for our exposure to the outside world of food and bacteria. A child's oral cavity develops its own bacterial microbiome over time after being initially inoculated by mom during the delivery process, preferably when it is done vaginally. The saliva of the mouth provides a medium for bacterial growth and maintenance. We are in a constant process of saliva production and swallowing, which is our normal steady state. We have many different types of bacteria and they serve different functions, specifically symbiotically, mostly within us, but there are also those bacteria that are not symbiotic with us, which means to say that they can cause us harm. As long as we maintain a healthy ecosystem inside our mouth for these bacteria, by eating natural fiber-filled whole foods, drinking water, and avoiding medications or other activities that promote dry mouth or other microbes, that are not our best friends, we will be rewarded with good health. Oral hygiene is the process by which how we specifically mechanically through toothbrushing or other processes try to keep our teeth and oral cavity clean and is in other, another key piece of the puzzle for a healthy ecosystem of our oral and pharyngeal flora. To that end, Dr. Corby the interviewee with Dr. Peter Tia performed a study comparing flossing of the teeth to not flossing of the teeth in twins who had the same oral microbial pathogens and pregingivitis, which is inflammation in the early state, that adults do with periodontal disease, and that they found that the group that did not floss has more harmful bacteria, otherwise known as dysbiosis, and gingival bleeding and inflammation than the flossing group. Quote, after two-week study period, putative periodontal pathogens and karyogenic bacteria were overabundant in the group that did not floss compared to the group that performed flossing. Those included Treponema denticola, Porphyromonas gingivalis, Tenorella forsythia, Prevotella intermedia, Agragatobacter, actinomycetomacomatans, ooh, that's a, that's a mouthful, and streptococcus mutans. Microbial species that are not consistent with the development of periodontal disease or dental caries were overabundant in the group that did floss compared to the non-flossing group. And this came from Dr. Corby's study that occurred in 2008 with a publication that can be found in the newsletter. Okay. So, Preventing periodontitis, inflammation of the area around the tooth, is a key piece of the heart and systemic health prevention strategy. Mild inflammation from periodontal irritation begins a process of loosing the periodontal ligament and gum tightness to the teeth. When the periodontal space around the tooth increases in size or pockets form, then bacteria have the ability to grow in these spaces, leading to immune responses that we see as increased inflammation, including redness and tissue loss. 
the tissue loss leads to more parts of the tooth, including the base, to suffer exposure to acid and other irritants. Eventually, we have cavities and tooth loss. If you, if you perform quality oral hygiene on yourself and your children, where do these things then break down? What we find is that the biggest contributor to poor oral health in children and adults is the excessive exposure to all forms of sugar, specifically sugar that is broken down and refined, which allows oral bacteria to take that sugar and convert it into an acid that then is put on top of the teeth by these bacteria and can cause enamel damage. Once that enamel is damaged, then the dentin and finally the pulp are exposed to the acid, which rapidly degrades the tooth and promotes gingivitis and dental caries. Human teeth are highly innervated, almost like fingers. They work as sensory processing devices, which are beneficial to protect the teeth against damage as a damaged tooth or teeth leads to decreased oral nourishment and take over time which evolutionarily would have led to starvation. Thus, a supremely hard tooth is highly advantageous to human and animal health in general. So when you put all this together in that very simplistic little intro here, what we find is that our teeth are highly specialized to handle food and other nourishing products from Mother Nature if we consume the correct sources of food as we have for thousands of years. The rub comes, as we always know, where the rubber meets the road in disease, when we have altered Mother Nature's plan and put into place our version of what we think it should be, i.e. refined carbohydrates like breads and pastas and sugared beverages like sweet tea, Gatorade, and soda, and we then start to bathe our teeth in these things. I remember when I did missionary work in South America and Central America, seeing children grabbing sugarcane off the side of the road. And amazingly, when they chew on the sugarcane, they would enjoy the love of the sweetness. But unfortunately, when you saw these children, they often all had a slight or large amount of dental caries, despite the fact that they don't have a huge amount of access to refined carbohydrates like breads and pastas and our junk foods, but they did have a huge amount of exposure to sugar. So the source of the exposure is the key and also the actual overconsumption of it are both antecedent triggers of this problem. So I'm going to list a few things that I took away from the podcast and from some other readings that I had been doing lately that I call the to-do and the not-to-do for oral health. Number one, try not to extract any of your teeth at any age as a tooth has a very specific job of holding space in the jawbone, which is its evolutionary job other than mastication. And this is something that in medicine has been drilled into my head year in and year out. The appendix used to be a vestigial organ with no purpose. Now it's known to be the microbiome reservoir for dysentery or other problems in the intestinal lining. The uh, tonsils were believed to be of no service, and now we know they're very important in immune function and a first line of defense against pathogens in the oropharyngeal region. So there is nothing put in our body with a functionless parameter. The reality is that almost everything in our system is there for a reason, and we just need to find out what that was, and evolution has always taught us what that actually is. So teeth need to be there, so we shouldn't remove them unless there's a really, really, really good reason. Number two, brush your teeth, tongue, and oral mucosa to vibrate or mechanically move bacteria as biofilms off of the surface of the tissue 
of your oropharynx or of your tooth and into the salivary fluid for spitting out or being washed out with water. Multiple times a day is ideal and especially at night. The removal of the biofilms of the bacteria really helps prevent them from walling themselves off and growing more powerful, which then allows them to cause more damage. Number three, floss in between all of your teeth after every meal or at least before bedtime to remove excess food that the oral bacteria can then use as fuel for acid production. Number four, do not use mouth rinses daily as they can kill off the good bacteria, which help control the growth of the bad bacteria, what we call opportunistic bacteria, as they try and gain a foothold in the oral microbiome. Number five, eat a lot of fibrous vegetables and fruits as the process of eating mechanically removes biofilms on the tooth surface. Number six, use fluoride-based toothpaste over the age of one year old, especially when you live in a house with well water, Young children under five years of age should use a rice grain sized amount of toothbrush, uh, excuse me, a rice grain sized amount of toothpaste on the toothbrush to control the volume of fluoride. And then you can put a larger amount of a non-fluorinated toothpaste on top if you wish, which could be Tom's of Maine or one of the others. Number seven, if you have dry mouth issues, chewing xylitol based gum, can help keep saliva active and also protect the teeth by the active ingredient altering the microflora of the oral cavity. Xylitol is a five carbon polyol sugar that promotes oral flora that prevents cavities in humans. And there's a study by Nyack et al. that can be found in the newsletter that was done in 2014 if you want further information. Finally, the last one is number eight. Control inflammation with diet and or supplementation. The Mediterranean diet or an anti-inflammatory diet or a Whole30 diet are three great diets to look at when you want to start improving the systemic health of your inflammatory system. These are natural foods with chemicals that promote the resolution of inflammation and also do not promote inflammation. So you have both sides of the coin being helped. So no increase in inflammation, but also resolution of inflammation that is present. Study after study has shown the Mediterranean diet or the anti-inflammatory diet to be the best diet for humans on the planet at this point. You can find more information about that at the, at the newsletter um, our, or on SalisburyPediatrics.com website under the health and wellness tab. And there's links to Dr. Weil's anti-inflammatory diet um, website. Pro-resolving lipid mediators is a fancy name for chemicals that are found in omega-3 fats, specifically from fish oil, that have beneficially resolved inflammation problems systemically in the human frame for millennia. The problem is now we don't consume a lot of omega-3 fats, especially as fish in children. And this is becoming one of the concerns in uh, modern uh, integrative or functional medicine. We want the specific foods that help control inflammation. And it turns out omega-3 fatty acids are one of those foods. So we encourage you to look at these situations when it comes to dietary inflammation reduction and just really pay attention to what you're putting in your body. Okay, that ends part one. And so let's do a little takeaway from this, right? So food is the main driver of tooth dysfunction, primarily through the overconsumption of refined carbohydrates, specifically as sugars. 
and flour type foods that get on the teeth and the bacteria ferment them, produce an acid that slowly degrades a tooth over time. This then causes increases in systemic inflammation through an abnormal microbiome and other immune related phenomena. The best thing to do is change your diet, specifically towards an anti-inflammatory type diet, floss daily, brush multiple times a day, and really just eat fibrous foods that help clean the teeth as well. It's really not that difficult. The next piece of the pie would be to add, you know, cleanings at the dentist's office two to three times a year. So overall, that's my recommendation. Okay. Section two, if you spend any time in a pediatric clinic or a school setting, you will notice two things. One, crooked teeth, two, cavities. Why is this the norm? Well, there's an interesting article in Scientific American from a few years back that really looked at this question. Peter Unger, a dental anthropologist and bio, uh, excuse me, evolutionary biologist, thinks that the issues of today are not the issues of the past. Our ancestral kin did not have similar issues with crowding and cavities. If they did not, and we do, the answer to the question of why is that the change in food types from harder, more fibrous foods to softer and sugar-laden foods has brought about this dysfunctional change that only benefits one group, the dental community, that thankfully enters our mouth routinely to heal what we otherwise have broken. But this simple answer doesn't completely suffice. So what really is going on? So going back to the beginning, when we looked at the tooth, right? It's a bony structure covered with a calcium phosphate material named enamel that holds over this tubular structure of dentin that keeps us in good shape with a hard tooth, right? We chew thousands of times a day, week, breaking down all kinds of different foodstuffs that, you know, is useful, but puts a pounding on the tooth. It's aggressive. It's very hard. It's, it's a, a really hard mastication process. Interestingly enough, the evolutionary biologists have found that the scales of a shark are made up of similar material and use similar genetic codes as our teeth for a blueprint of their production. Our teeth are naturally opposed top from bottom within close proximity to facilitate a safe and aggressive chewing activity to maximize the acquisition of calories for our brain's massive energy needs. That's the evolutionary belief. Human teeth are a classic combination of tearing and grinding teeth that are seen in omnivore-type animals with the expressed evolutionary choice to consume animal products as well as many fibrous and uh, vegetable-based foods that are loaded with energy for maximal growth. And I quote from the article, the evolutionary history of our teeth explains not only why we are so strong, but also uh, the why we fall short today. The basic idea is that structures evolve to operate within a specific range of environmental conditions, which in the case of our teeth includes the chemicals and bacteria in the mouth, as well as a strain and abrasion. It follows that changes to the oral environment can catch our teeth off guard. Such is the case with our modern diets, which are unlike any in the history of our life on this planet prior. The resulting mismatch between our biology and our behavior explains the dental cavities or caries impacted wisdom teeth and other orthodontic problems that afflict us. This is from the Scientific American article of 2020. According to Unger, 90% of Americans have dental caries or 294 million people. Yikes. However, as an anthropologist studying teeth, he has discerned that this is a modern issue. One of the main reasons behind the problem happens to be my favorite topic, the microbiome, or in this case, the oral microbiome. He wrote the section so well that it presented its entirety here as a quote. 
to understand why the teeth of the modern day humans are so prone to decay, we need to consider the natural oral environment. The healthy mouth is teeming with life, populated by billions of microbes running, representing up to 700 species of bacteria alone. Most are beneficial. They fight disease, help with digestion, and regulate various bodily functions. Other bacteria are harmful to teeth, such as mutants, streptococci, and lactobacillus. They attack enamel with lactic acid per- produced during the metabolism. But concentrations of these bacteria are usually too low to cause permanent damage. Their numbers are kept in check by their commensal cousins, the mitises, the sanguinous streptococcal groups. These bacteria produce alkalis, chemicals that raise the pH. They're the antithesis of the acids, as well as antimicrobial proteins that inhibit the growth of harmful species. Saliva buffers the teeth against acid attack and bathes them in calcium and phosphate to remineralize their surface. The balance between demineralization and remineralization has held for hundreds of millions of years, and both beneficial and harmful bacteria are found in the oral microbiomes across the mammalian order, end quote. He also quotes again, carries results when diets rich in carbohydrates feed acid-producing bacteria lowering oral pH. Mutant streptococci and other harmful species thrive in the acidic environment they produce, and they begin to swap beneficial bacteria, further reducing the pH. This chain of events leads to what clinical researchers call dysbiosis, a shift in balance wherein a few harmful species outcompete those that are normally dominant in the oral microbiome. Saliva cannot remineralize enamel fast enough to keep up, and the equilibrium between loss and repair is shot. Sucrose, common sugar, is especially problematic. Harmful bacteria use it to form a thick, sticky plaque that binds to teeth and to store energy that feeds them between meals. Meaning, the teeth suffer longer exposure to acid attacks. The largest change in tooth decay from baseline norms came when humans began refining sugar and carbohydrate in vast quantities. The change reduced the volume of fibrous foods that humans ate, which were abrasive cleaners of the teeth while simultaneously increasing the fuel source for the wrong bacteria that produced acid instead of alkali. Once the acid is burned through the enamel, the dentin and the pulp are now risk for damage. The enamel cannot be remade, making the tooth forever at risk unless modern dentistry comes to the rescue. This is a repeated pattern for the entire alimentary canal. Refined, high-calorie, low-micronutrient foods coupled with toxins ingested via pesticides and agrochemicals are poisoning our alimentary canal's microbiome from mouth to rectum, causing damage and inflammation throughout our health to our detriment. In Nourish Your Tribe, the book written by my wife, Nicole Magrida, there is a hugely important chapter, number three, where she takes a deeper dive into this topic. I have had many discussions on oral health with a good friend of mine, Dr. Luis Crespo, who resides in Cornelius, North Carolina, and the conclusion is always the same. Our infant-toddler diet and lack of proper breastfeeding activity and the technique are driving much of the oral problems that includes caries, malocclusion, oral motor dysfunction. Reversing these maladies requires early intervention with proper breastfeeding, proper whole food-based eating patterns, and avoidance of refined carbohydrates. So, you know, you see this in two different areas where it's a repeated pattern of the wrong choices of the foods we consume, causing a change in the oral microbiome, which then leads to downstream effects on our teeth, which then leads to downstream effects on inflammation, and the pattern repeats itself ad nauseum. 
So again, the take-home points are the same. We need to avoid the foods in their refined form, specifically sugars, that cause problems to our teeth from the earliest ages all the way through the ends of our life so that we don't suffer dysbiosis of the oral microbiome, therefore increasing the risk for dental caries, ruining our teeth, and potentially causing systemic inflammation far and wide. That's the take-home point, folks. There's also a link in the newsletter to an oat and pumpkin pancake on um, the Nicole Magrita website. And also, I think it's in her uh, book, the Nourish Your Tribe book, um, but it's fantastic. So if you want to give it a shout, go check NicoleMagrita.com, look under the recipes and check out oat and pumpkin pancakes. I think you will be very pleased how wonderful they are. I like to freeze them and then pop them in the toaster put a little sun butter on them with a drizzle of honey, and boy, you got a power pack meal. Another great website if you are looking for information on great recipes, go to Chef Mark with a K, Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N.com. And there are a plethora of great recipes on there that are super healthy. He is a fantastic chef and a fantastic person. Um, I've known him for quite a while now, and I highly encourage you to check out his website. He also has a few books. His most recent one is related to diabetes, and he has another book called Three Boys and a Chef, Simply Good Food. So check it out as well. Good stuff. You can buy it on Amazon, or you can just go to his website. There's a bunch of free recipes there. All right. That concludes Spa Newsletter audio recording of Volume 11, issue number 30, all things oral health related. I hope you enjoyed it. It has been, as always, an enjoyable experience for me to talk to you. Keep hugging those kids. And until next time, I'm Dr. M.